we were looking for a man whose name, I, whose picture I'd only seen online, which can be a little bit nerve-wracking when you're getting off in a foreign country you've never been to before. But Daniel was there, and he had, uh, I don't know, seven or eight other men that grabbed our luggage and loaded it into a van and took us to the place we were staying, checked it out to make sure it was safe. Uh, they received us very well, and we've had the privilege of receiving them a few times as well. I say them. Uh, his wife Erica was with him last year. Uh, this year he's here by himself. Uh, he's in the States because uh, he speaks at uh, the Christian Alliance for Orphans Conference. Some of you heard me mention that earlier this month. He was there for that, and he's training uh, people from other countries to do orphan care in, in their particular location. So he's training people and speaking in different places. And uh, I'm privileged to call him my friend. Uh, some of you remember me talking about uh, uh, being in a, a really bad car accident in Uganda while we were there. Uh, Pastor Daniel had a dream about that like the day before and, and wrote me an email and, and talked about this thing. So he was praying and then the accident happened and we were okay. And it's like, it's so awesome that God lets us know sometimes things that are going on that, that are going to kind of rock us a bit. And uh, Daniel's been an encouragement ever since. So I'm going to have him come up now at this time. Come on up, Pastor Daniel. Can we welcome him? All right. Yeah. So I, I don't know if we wanted to start with a little, a little bit about you, and then we can talk about your ministry, but would you tell us a little bit about your family and all the people in your household right now? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. Greetings, everyone. I'm Daniel. Uh, I came from Uganda. Uganda is eastern part of Africa. And uh, I thank God for this time that I've been invited in this place again. And uh, it's always my pleasure to stand and serve the Lord. I, uh, I came to minister, as he has said. I was invited by Christian Alliance for Orphans uh, as a facilitator because that's what I do in Uganda, whereby we have uh, a network, a movement of churches and NGOs. So I was invited to come and speak on behalf, uh, I, I mean, to tell the world what we do. And uh, it's just because of the passion that the Lord laid upon my heart uh, to be able to serve the orphans. I was raised up uh, as an orphan, though I had parents. And we know it very well that uh, if any child is being raised up in a family, whether he has parents or not, but if he or she is raised uh, vulnerable, uh, that, I mean, that qualifies him to be an orphan. So that's how I was raised up. So because of that passion, and the passion of my wife who was also raised up as an orphan uh, for six years in the orphanage center. So the Lord brought us all together for a reason. So we have the passion of loving children, of loving kids. And my wife has this big heart for children and for orphans. I will never forget as we are uh, in our time of, of, of courtship that she told me that I will never be in the house without orphans. And uh, uh, I, I told her, I mean, I could not even imagine uh, that by that time we never had any child. Uh, but she always felt like she could not live at home without children. So at the end of the day, we went for a certain mission. And then 
she met over 17 children and then she was like, I'm taking them home. I told her that, Erica, we have nothing to eat. We have nothing to give to our children. We live in one bedroom in the house. We are so poor. We don't have anything. And she started crying and telling me that, no, I'm taking them. I'm taking them. I told her that you are not taking Where are you? I mean, where are we going to have them? We have only one room. Even the food that we eat at home, we just struggle to get it. How are these children going to survive? She said, God will make a way. That was very hard. By the time came that we had to bring them in anyway, because that was our call. So ever since we've been married for the last 18 years, we have never lived a home without orphans. Even as I speak now, we have 16 in the house. We are just glad that they are there. We live with them. We stay with them. Every holiday they say, we want to go to mom and dad, and that's where we want to spend our holiday. So they just come in, and then we have no choice. We just have to love them. And that's part of what we do. Yeah. And they call your wife mama, don't they? Yeah. They call my wife mom. They call me daddy. So whenever we come, that's what they call us. We actually love to, uh, I mean, it's part of us. It is part of us. One of the reasons why we do this is that because we want to give children an identity. One of the challenges that my wife is going in through even now is that she was raised up in the orphanage center for six years. Being in the orphanage center for six years, we, uh, the struggle that she's still having even now for the last 18 years is that she was not picked up by anybody to take her in as her own child. So that is, uh, it's now 18 years. And plus the six years that she was in the orphanage. After losing both of her parents in 1994 genocide in Rwanda, whereby she saw her parents being killed. She saw her dad being killed. She saw her mom being killed. She saw her brothers being killed. And then she was just in, uh, in the courtyard, 12 years. She froze, hearing her mom screaming in the night. And she was, I mean, she died in a very terrible way that they had to cut her into pieces. And then this little girl is looking at her. And she's looking at these men who were cutting her into pieces. And then she happened to saw how her mom was being killed. And uh, I mean, uh, uh, crying and then shedding tears. And then she, she said that she does, cannot even tell how she escaped out from that place to go into the bushes for three months. So that is one of the reasons why she loves children. But on top of that, she always recalls and says that, I mean, when our children ask her, Mom, where are our grandchildren, our grandparents? She cannot even show one. Because when she was in the orphanage center, she was not picked up. And then she lost the identity. She lost that kind of identity. She feels like she, she has no belonging. She has no sense of belonging. Then we said, probably it's not good for the children, for the orphans to be in the centers, in the orphanage centers, in institutions. It's always good for them to be in families so that they can have the identity because everybody needs to have an identity. We are celebrating the heroes of the U.S. today. But let us also remember their sons, the children who were left as orphans. Sometimes we forget even to pray for them. 
But these men and these women who died, who, who died on behalf of this nation, left orphans behind. But many times the nations forget about this. And the nation may forget, but let the church remember this because it is written in James 1.27. True and undefiled religion is to take care of orphans and widows. Those men left women behind. Those are the widows. Let's remember them as a church and pray for them. They left orphans behind. Let's not only celebrate them as heroes, but let us also include their families. Because somehow, somewhere, there is a virtue that was left in the hearts of their children. Sometimes we may not even know where their children are. Sometimes we may not even know where the widows went. That is why the church has this mandate of loving and taking care of widows and orphans. That is why we have these children in our home. Yes. We really want to give them what we call an identity and the sense of belonging. Yes. And on top of that, I was also raised up as an orphan. I shared about this last year here, and I told you three times that the Lord saved me from committing suicide. Three times. My father separated with my mom when I was young, eight years. I went to my... Uh, I, lived, I lived at home for two years with my stepmom. And the time came that she mistreated us, that all my elder brothers and sisters had to run out of the house. Then I had to remain in the house from eight years to ten. And at ten years, I, I mean, from eight to ten, I could do every kind of work at home. I could do the cooking, the laundry, the fetching water from the well. I mean, cleaning the house and doing all kinds of work. At the age of ten, I couldn't handle that. It was too much for me. Then I had to run and go to my grandmother's place. I was there for two years. But my grandmama was also too poor that she could not even take care of me. I will never forget the one dress that she had. She put it on during day. And then she could cover me with that same dress in the night. And then she could uncover me in the morning and then put on that same dress. That means that she had, she had only one dress in life. And every time she could always tell me, how are we going to live? How are we going to survive? We could go to bed and then she could sleep. But every morning she could wake up saying that I wish... It could just be night, whereby we could sleep 24 hours night, whereby we do not have to suffer again to look for food, to look for each and everything every day. I was there for two years. After two years, I had to go and make my own living. I started living by myself when I was 12 years. I went to rent my own house at 12. I went, I mean, uh, and then I paid for my school fees. I did each and every kind of work at the age of 12. At the age of 14, after 12 years, I really felt like life was demanding a lot. And then I had to take on another step. Then I said, this is too much for me. So the devil told me, go and commit suicide. And this was the second attempt. The first attempt, I, we got on our father's truck. He was a, a, a trailer uh, a driver. And then we went behind. We wanted to commit suicide. My brother jumped off. And then he broke the side of his ribs because both of us wanted to die on the same day. But praise be to Jesus that I did not jump off, though I was about to do it. 
So the second time the devil told me to commit suicide. I was in high school. Then I, I, I had the little things in my house. I sold them. I mean, I gave them out all. And then I went to, to school. I never went into the class. The spirit of death had covered me up. Ready to commit suicide on that day. I had the rope in my bag. And then I went to school. Then going to school, uh, I never, wanted, I mes- I never wanted, entered into the class just getting ready to commit suicide. But I thank God that after all the students went out from the school, I saw that all had gone out. I saw that I was the only one in the school. I never knew that Jesus loved him more than enough. That he was not even late under the mango tree where I was going to commit suicide from. As I got my rope out to commit suicide, then came a brother by the names of Richard. Richard found me, me, the only one in the school, and he told me that Daniel, he asked me, what are you trying to do? I told him that I'm going to commit suicide. He told me, no, you need Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus right under that mango tree, and that's, that's where I met King Jesus, waiting for me through Richard. Then I told Richard, but I have nowhere to go. I have no house. I have no home. Richard told me that, let me take you to my father's house. He spoke with his dad, and they brought me in. Three months after that, then our adopted father died. And then after his death, we went for burial. Uh, we spent like a week in the village, and then after they came back, they, make, they made decisions as... Uh, uh, they made decisions to come and divide the children into different families. So they had to take the children into different families. So we are seven in the family. They were six biological, and then I was the seventh. Unfortunately, after they divided all the six, then for me, because I was not introduced in the family, I had no one to pick me. So after dividing the six, then they all had to go, and then I had to remain in the house alone. Then the devil told me, commit suicide again. It is your time to commit suicide now. And then he told me, you have been left. You are rejected. You are abandoned. No one is for you. See that everybody has gone. Now do the last part of your life. Commit suicide. But praise be to God that within me I had a voice telling me that do not commit suicide. Go back to your grandmother's place. I walked seven miles. And I went back to her. She was glad to receive me in. And I was there Friday night. Saturday. Sunday she saw me going to church. Having my Bible. She asked me where I was going. Because she never knew that I had given my life to Christ. She was not a Christian. Then I told her that, I'm going, that I was going to church. She told me, if you are going to go to that church, you are either going to be in my house or else you are going to go to church forever. So I had to make a decision right away. And then I went to church. I came back from church thinking as a child that probably she will have mass upon me. But her words were final. Coming back from church, she had no mercy upon me. She told me, I told you, if you decide to go for Jesus, go for him the rest of your life. I said I will. And then I had to, she kicked me out of the house. And then I had to go again to make my own living. But one thing that I will never forget in life, 
is the life that I spent in the family, in the family where I was adopted, where I was fostered. These people loved me. They cared for me. They bought me shoes first time in life at the age of 14. They bought me a mattress. I slept on bed first time in life at the age of 14. They allowed me to share everything together with their children. First time to see that. And it was my first time to hear someone telling me, Daniel, we love you. Uh, come and be part of our family. Be one of us. I had never had anyone speaking those kind of, I, I mean, those kind of statements. So I came to love this family so much that even now I can recall whatever good they did for me in only three months. And I cannot even tell you what my biological daddy has ever done for me. But I can recall what the foster family did for me. So that's why we love the children. We really want these children to have an identity. When I look at myself being fostered in the family for three months, and I can recall all they did for me, and if I look behind, seeing my wife, what she went through, and even now, she's still struggling with an identity, then we, had, then we said, every child must have a family. Every orphan must have an identity. Every orphan must be in a family. That is what we do in our country. And that's why we love the children. That's why we bring them in so that we may stand and be and advocate for them. I'd love you to talk more about that, the orphan ministry part. Do you want to show the video first or talk about it first? I can show the video. The video first? Okay, okay. so if we have the video, Jim, we'll do the His Embrace. The ministry has a primary junior school in Buleka, Mukono, about 10 kilometers from Mukono town, 20 kilometers east of Kampala. The school has 250 children. However, over nine... The ministry has a primary junior school in Buleka, Mukono, about 10 kilometers from Mukono town, 20 kilometers east of Kampala. The school has 250 children. However, over 90% of these fall under the orphans and vulnerable children category. There are many orphans, and even those who have parents, they are unable to meet their educational needs. Where we are going, uh, our school, we are expecting to add on orphans, to add on vulnerable children, to build uh, a home for orphans. The Sign of the Dove wants to use this school as a point of transformation for the community. In other words, it is through the school that the community will know about God and his love for mankind. The ministry acquired the land on which the church sits and new structures of the school are being constructed. So much still needs to be done. The school needs classrooms, a library, computers, latrines, electricity, mainly solar, scholastic materials such as textbooks and charts, as well as outdoor playing materials for the children, especially those in the nursery section. During last year's national examinations, the school was the best in the area, and this has attracted a big number of new pupils, hence stretching the available facilities. Some of the challenges of Dove Nursery School, 
uh, we have uh, there's inadequate textbooks, there's uh, inadequate seats, inadequate classes because at these classes they cannot accommodate 216. Also, the other section we are using the church, which is affecting the, the church programs. At the shrine of the dove, together with his embrace, we have been able to to take care of orphans into uh, different families through the church, and they have been fostered and adopted into those their uh, into those families. It has always been a blessing, and it is not only that, but we also have a very big number of children who are even on the waiting list. Actually, that's one of the reasons why we decided to open up the school in Kono because it's an open school. So we, we really wanted to support them and be part of their lives to be able to transform their lives. The ministry has a primary junior school in Buleka, Mukono, about 10 kilometers from Mukono town, 20 kilometers east of Kampala. Yeah, we can the school has 250 children. So, However, over 90% of these... Tell us about uh, his embrace in the ministry of the school there and what you're doing with that. Yeah, we want to thank God for, uh, for his embrace. That is the ministry that we do uh, under our church. And uh, one of the reasons why we opened up this ministry is because we came to realize uh, that most of the times when we take care of orphans, we look at only one part, which is the physical part. And then the physical part has always been done well, but then we forget about the other, I call them dimensions. We have five dimensions that we teach about. We teach about the physical dimension, then we have emotional, we have mental, spiritual, and social. And then we believe that every child should have the five complete. That makes him or her to grow up well. But most of the times we look at only one aspect, which is the uh, physical aspect. We give them food, shelter, and uh, school fees, and then we think that it is done with an orphan. But it's not yet done. Because this orphan needs to be loved, emotional. This often is going through some mental, you know, disturbance. So, there must be something to be done. Then also the spiritual part of it. They need to know Christ. And then social. One of the challenges that I went through after my adopted father brought me in, uh, he did not introduce me into the family, into his own family. That's why I was kicked out. So, that is the social aspect also, which is also very important. So the reason why we started His Embrace, we started it so that we may be able to be part, uh, I mean, to transform the lives of children. We have done this uh, project in Mokono, as you have seen. 
this is a place where we went and we found out that the biggest majority, that the majority of the people in this place were Muslims. And then most of them, it is a district in Uganda which is known for sacrifices, human sacrifice and witchcraft. So, so many people never wanted to start churches there. And they never wanted to do anything. Girls were abused. They were not taken to school because they were seen like they are nothing. Then we said we should go and take up a step. It is our time as a church. If at all we are to transform a community, let's transform the community through education. So we went to Mokono, as you saw. Buildings were not there. We had to set up everything with mud. And then we had to start up this school project. So the school project right now has 250 children in only two years. And then we think that by the beginning of this term, which is in June, that more children are going to be coming in. And then we said, let's transform this community through education. So we went in. Parents brought in their children because it was their first time to go to school. And the need was so great. And then bringing them in, we of course, we never considered whether one was a Muslim or not even a Muslim. But I want to thank God that out of uh, the children who were brought, four different families, Muslim families have given their lives to Jesus mm. be, through their children. We never went to preach to them. We never took, I mean, anything special about Jesus. But it's through education that, we, uh, that our teachers can impact, uh, can teach the children about Christ. And when they go back home in their Islamic families, then they can show Christ. Then the parents will look at their different children, at their children, and they will see them differently. Then they will be enticed to come to church because the, these children are carrying, they are carrying Jesus in them who is very special in their lives and even Muslims can be able to see that. Now they said, we also want to do, I mean, we, we also want to give the, our lives to Jesus. Surprisingly, when we went there to start up that school, we had uh, even now, the one who is leading our PTA, Parents and Teachers Association, is a Muslim. But I was there three weeks before, two weeks before I came over. And then she came and told me that, Pastor Daniel, it is my, it is my time also to give my life to Jesus. Because I have already seen what the church has done in this community. So we decided to take up that. Uh, our children stays there. They come in the morning from 7, then they leave at 5 in the morning, uh, 5 p.m., 7 a.m. Until 5, until 5 p.m. That's when they go back home. But one of the challenges that we have is that 90% of them are orphans or vulnerable children, so they don't pay. It is our responsibility to take care of them and also to pay for the teachers. But the worst part of it is that they don't have any meal. So as they come to school in the morning... And they leave at 5 p.m. They don't take anything like any meal, any food, anything to eat. So we have the vision of helping them by sustaining, I mean, I mean by paying their school fees and at the same time making them some meals, which is $125 a year. So cheap as that. The reason why we wanted to do that is that someone can give 125 
a year per child, one-time donation. And then that can help a child to transform. Uh, I mean, that can help any child to be. Any child can be transformed through your giving of $125 a year. You never know someone you help. That somebody may be the one who is going to transform this world upside down tomorrow. You never know how much the Lord can use them five years from now to be able to transform the lives of people in Uganda, in Kenya, in Tanzania, in Africa, and the world. Because who, nobody, I mean, has ever known. When my mother gave birth to me, she never knew. Oh, my dad. They never knew that I would even be here today. Nobody knew that I would come and speak before you. They all saw us as people who were to be useless. And that's why we are rejected and abandoned. But at the end of the day, somebody came up to support me, to support us. That's why we are what we are today. So you don't know the, the one that you are going to support. That tomorrow, that child can be the one doing what we are doing today. So much of that is what we are doing at his embrace. And as you saw, uh, we are building a school. And the school needs to be roofed. That, those are three classes. Our mission is to build three classes every year. But hopefully we think like by next year we, we may have more than 400 children in that school. So we are looking at having uh, that roof on so that we can be able to transform the lives of children in Uganda through education. There is nowhere that we could go and penetrate in the lives of this Islamic community except through education. And that is the system that we, we came up with and we said, let's go transform them through education. Because through education, we can be able to transform our nation. Very good. Very good. Do you want to talk to the uh, international part of this thing? You know, Uganda without orphans and what you're doing with that? Because that's very exciting too, how, how, the, how, that, how that organization is grabbing churches and the thousands of churches that are in Uganda taking part in this. Uh, one of the reasons why I came this time to, to the summit in Florida, Orlando, I was invited purposely to speak about what the pastor is asking me to, I mean, to talk about. Three years ago, I was invited to this summit. It was in Nashville. And then after they told me all about this, I grabbed the vision. I'm the man who has faith. I really have faith that I even believe in myself, that I have faith. So, coming to this summit, it was very powerful. And they talked about Orphan Sunday. Then they said that we really need to remember about orphans, at least once a year. Then I, I told the people that I'm going to do this in Uganda. I went in Uganda and mobilized over 300 churches my first year. And then we celebrated the Orphan Sunday. So the year after that was last year, no, that was 2014, I was able to, to mobilize over 1,000 churches to celebrate about Orphan Sunday. Then 2015, the reason why they invited me is because we formed an alliance, a network called Alliance for a Uganda Without Orphans. Our major goal, Uganda has 2.6 million of orphans. And we are more than 2.6 million Christians in Uganda. Our goal is to have 
a Uganda without orphans. By placing these children in families, Christian families. So we are like, if we have 2.6 million children in Uganda, how many Christians do we have in Uganda? If every family could go, could take up a child, then we can have Uganda without orphans in one single day. And it is possible. The reason why we do what we do is that we, go, we are now sensitizing our nation by telling them that please have the heart of taking in a child. And then we told them that you may even not be called to adopt or to foster, but you are called to support. Everyone has been called to support. You may not adopt, you may not foster, but you can support. So the program that we started with the 15 children that we had in the orphanage center in Uganda, we gave them out into our church families. All children live in, with the church families. And not only that, but we have been able to help over 84 children in our church. They are all in church families. So our church is often a free church. Because the children have the belonging. They have the sense of belonging. They have an identity. So we don't call them orphans because they have parents. So what we do as a church, we support the families that have taken in children by paying school fees and medical and school supplies. And then the child has an identity. The child has a belonging. The child has where to go every day. And he or she has someone to call mom and dad. So they have an identity. So that's why the Lord put it on our hearts. I'm the national coordinator for that alliance. I went to the government. I told the government about this. But the government never gave me an ear. Because the government never wanted to work with the church. The government told me that we don't have time for the church. I told the government that there is nothing that can take place unless you, we involve the church. One is James 1.27 does not even talk about the government. James 1.27 talks about the church. True religion, undefiled, is this, to take care of orphans and, and, and widows. It is not the government. It is our responsibility as a church to take care of orphans and widows. So the government is just helping. And at the end of the day, in Uganda, government does not even help. They set the policies, but it is the church to put the policies into implementation because they have no power to put the policies into, I mean, implementation. It is only us because we are on the ground. We know the people. We have the power on the ground. So I told the government, let's pattern with the church. The government said no. It was not until we were able to mobilize 2,331 churches together. To, for one cause, the orphanage cause. Then the government heard about this. We had programs on the radio. We had programs on the TV. We did posters and we advertised this day, the orphanage Sunday last year. At the end of the day, we brought up 2,331 churches and organizations together. So the government woke up from their sleep and they said, wow, now we want to work with the, with the church. Because the church has come up to support the orphans. So, I was invited to come and speak because the movement that we have in Uganda is the fast growing movement all over the world. 
raising, I mean bringing up 2,000 churches together in just one single day. By the grace of God, we have been able to achieve it. And not only that, but I've been able to open up Uganda without orphans, Tanzania without orphans, Rwanda without orphans, Congo without orphans, Burundi without orphans, Nigeria without orphans, and Ghana without orphans. I'm coaching all those pastors and those nations. They are under my supervision. I go there, I coach them, I train them, and I tell the church about, uh, about this cause. And we thank God that the nations are coming up. I went to Ghana two, two years ago to open up Ghana without orphans. And the chief justice was there. As I delivered the message before the people, she, she knelt down and started crying. And she, she said, I wish we knew this before. Our nation has been struggling to bring this message out. But we never even knew that it was the power of the church to deliver this message to the whole nation. So, her with all her people that she came up with, they, we, we all started crying. Everybody was just crying. And then we prayed for Ghana. And Ghana is now at a very high speed because the chief justice was among the people who took this message to the government. And in my country, a meeting with the president in June, he heard about this and he invited me to go and have a discussion about orphans in our country. I believe that our meeting will be successful. And we want to see Uganda having no orphans. We are taking this message to the parliament, to the legislators. And it is only through the church that we can do this. And we want this to be on the Ugandan calendar. That on the second November, second Sunday of every November, Uganda, we really want to see every church, every family, every organization remembering as we have remembered the heroes of America. That's what we want to do in Uganda. We want to remember an orphan child in our country. And the government, we are asking the government to recognize this day because we have so many days. Father's Day, Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, Hero's Day. I mean, so many other days. But the orphan was forgotten. The orphan was not, is not known anywhere. And then I came up with this vision and I said, no, an orphan must be remembered. I need your prayers. As we take on this, uh, this great work, I will need your prayers. But I believe and I know that the Lord is going to be with us and is with us. That's what we do now. Thank you. Thank you. Can we give him a hand for sure? So there's no Sunday school or anything today, but we'll be hanging out. And if you'd like to talk to people, we'll just, we'll be around. But um, thank you so much, Daniel. I'll have you take a seat and we'll close things off in a second here. Um, I just want to kind of pull everything together if I could. Um, can we put up John 15:13? We I referenced this in the service earlier. You know, the greatest love, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Uh, let me try to connect some things here. So, we're, we're honoring the heroes, as Pastor Daniel said today, because they've laid down their lives for their country, for their friends, for their family. And it's a worthy cause. That's why we remember. That's why we recognize this weekend. And maybe you ask, well, what does that say to me? Because uh, how, how do I lay down my life? 
Well, actually, in 1 John, John tells us how do we do that. So we can put up 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he, meaning Christ, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, John can't mean because Jesus was crucified, we should all go out and get crucified. But, but, he, but he is saying Jesus sacrificed himself so that love demands that you sacrifice yourself. How do you do that? Well, verse 17, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart to him, how does God's love abide in him? God's love demands sacrifice. That the world's goods don't just belong to me, that my home just doesn't belong to me, as Daniel's demonstrated. How many in your house now? Sixteen? You know, my home doesn't just belong to me. It's open to others. And, and, and my money doesn't just belong to me. It belongs to others. I want to use the world's goods to love people sacrificially. And so, you know, every time Daniel comes, some, something happens, you know, and, and I'm still looking to see what the Lord might do here and with us. But, um, you know, last year we took an offering for him. And um, he also, I introduced him to the network of pastors in this area. And one of them is Pastor Marcus Guthrie. I think some of you might know him. He's in Lake Tomahawk. And his church gave a large amount of money that actually helped Daniel buy the property that his school is on. I mean, their church basically bought that land. And it was just like, you know, I don't know. I just invited him to a pastor's network thing, you know. And he just let the Lord take over. So I don't know what the Lord will do. But I know that if you ask him, God, what would you have me do? Would you have me sponsor a child? Is it this? Is it Compassion International? You know, we have to take care of the vulnerable. We have to do that as a church. It's not a matter of if we will. We have to. And I'm also challenged by your words, Daniel, because you said uh, the government paying attention to the church, seeing a movement in the church. I mean, how awesome would that be for the government to say, there's a movement amongst the churches, you know, and... and even to say it in the singular, the church. It wasn't even denomination. It was a movement amongst the church in America. Oh, man, that would be so awesome. So are we praying that way? Are we asking the Lord what he's doing here and then obeying that voice? That's all. What are we called to do? And I know one answer is we're called to lay down our lives for other people. And for some, that could mean going to a dangerous place a risky situation, and, and literally laying down your life. For others, it's going to mean life's not about me. Life's about others, and I'm using my resources for them. Because I am super comfortable. I don't need to make myself more comfortable. But they're the ones that need a bed. They're the ones that need a meal. When I pray with Daniel for a meal, I, I, know, I know you probably haven't heard him pray for a meal, but if you were with Daniel over a meal, he would pray something like, we pray for those who don't know what they're going to eat today. That you would provide a meal for them. And it's like, we don't even, that doesn't even cross our radar. So that's why I wanted you to hear him. And I know that he's doing things that are affecting Eastern Africa, affecting his country in big ways. And we ought to be at least praying that God will do great things through him and asking, what else can we do? A couple of things I'll share and then we'll sing one closing song. Um, our VBS this year is off to a start. And, and like last week, I didn't know how this was going to go. But we had a VBS meeting, and uh, we have a couple co-leaders. Jen Blomdahl and Ann Epler will be co-leading VBS for us. It will be the last week of July, 
and it will have an orphan care theme to it. And then at the end of VBS, uh, that Sunday, we're inviting in, uh, and this is thanks to Shalia Nellis, uh, his, uh, we're inviting in His Little Feet, which is an orphan choir. Okay, So an orphan choir that tours the country will be here the last Sunday in July at the end of our VBS week on orphan care. So uh, God's doing things with this here, and we want to follow his lead on that wherever he wants to take us. Um, so you'll hear more about that. Uh, we're scheduling a VBS meeting a week from tomorrow, so the following Monday. So if you want to mark that on your calendars, if you'd like to be involved with us, We'd love for you to support this uh, that's coming up. So let me pray, and then we'll have one more song as we want to follow Christ. So let's pray. Jesus, we, we exalt you because you've died on the cross for our sin. You've paid the price to make us free, truly free. That is, people in other countries that don't have the freedom we have could say, I'm free because of Jesus. I pray for those here if they're here this morning and they don't know you as Savior, they've never taken that step to receive you as Savior, that they might hear your voice now. And that they might say in their own hearts now something like, Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've broken your commands. I know I deserve judgment. But I know that in your great love, you died for me to pay the price for my sins. Lord, would you reach out and touch someone today with that message that they might say that in their own heart. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going we're gonna to switch the end song to I Will Follow. Um, I thought the words just really go really well with um, what Pastor Daniel and, and Niall were talking about. Um, just who you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. Um, God may be calling us to do something. I mean, he is calling us to do something. So let's end with that song. Would you stand with us?